Welcome to Lumpen Week in Review, the show that covers the past week of news, happenings, and programs presented on Lumpen Radio. This week, we learned about what defunding the police really means, how our officials in Chicago have dealt with the protests, and what depression does to people. All this plus the Trump Diaries, Size Matters, and AWCYFM, only on the Lumpen Week in Review for June 26, 2020. Chuck Mertz spoke with organizers Max Rameau and Netfa Freeman on today's uprisings. Rameau and Freeman discussed fighting dispossession and violence and dug into what defunding the police really means. This is Hell airs every Thursday and Sunday at 10 a.m. Max, let's start with you and a story that broke this week. As the Washington uh, Post reported, more than 50 liberal groups signed a letter Monday to presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden criticizing his response to the emerging protest against police brutality, warning that failing to embrace a more aggressive agenda risks alienating the African-American voters he needs to win the election. The letter pointed to Biden's recent promise to not defund the police, but add $300 million for community policing programs, a plan that activists say would undermine their efforts to push for systemic changes such as defunding the police. So, Max, the two of you uh, have your criticisms of defunding, and we'll get to that in a moment. But, Max, is uh, Biden's being opposed to defunding, Uh, What does that tell you about the Biden campaign and the Democratic Party when it comes to addressing the problems with police when he doesn't want to defund the police, but instead he wants to give $300 million into policing programs? Yeah, that's $300 million extra. That's in addition to what they already get, which is a a, uh, a disproportionate amount of local and state uh, budgets. But uh, yeah, I, I, uh, this is no surprise, of course. I'm not surprised at all to hear Biden's position. I'll be very surprised, in fact, if his position were different. Uh, the Democratic Party uh, represents uh, one uh, side of the, um, uh, of the corporate uh, interests uh, of this country, and the Republican Party represents uh, another. There was an um, African liberation leader who once said, uh, when he was criticized for only having one political party in this country, said, well, the United States also only has one political party, but in typical U.S. opulence, it has two of them. So uh, the, the, as far as it relates to police uh, and policing and the way that this society is controlled through those mechanisms, then there's really not a significant difference between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. So this is not a surprise, and, uh, uh, and we don't expect anything different. I think that's why we need to look to the people who are protesting to figure out what changes are going to be made, not to look to the top of the ticket of either political party. That quote was fantastic, Max. I <clears throat> openly laughed over here. So, Netva, uh, uh, you and Max write that the intensity and scope of the mass rebellion that has gripped the U.S. and expanded internationally has shaken global white supremacist capitalist patriarchy to its knees. In a lot of the corporate establishment media, Netva, there has been a scripted sense of surprise about the protests also taking place overseas, and reporting is often framed within the protests being about George Floyd, about even anger in New Zealand over U.S. police violence. What is missed when all the protests around the world are not seen as protests against specifically police violence? Or the, when they are seen, I should say, as the specific insta- instance of killing of George Floyd. What does the media miss, in your opinion, when they do not see the protests around the world? more generally, as being opposed to white supremacy and global institutional racism. 
Mm-hmm. Well, the media misses a lot. In fact, the media is so responsible for buttressing the images of the police and how people are regarding the police. And when I think of the media, I think of more than just the news media, but it's also the cop shows on television, uh, all kind of things mm-hmm. that um, that uh, make people believe that these are benevolent forces. Um, and there's a, I mean, the question you ask is so large. There's a whole lot they're missing. One is that uh, I think of is back in after Trayvon Martin was killed by what we probably would say is a vigilante, the Malcolm X grassroots movement did a report. Um, and I think it was no, called No More Trayvon Martins. It was a part of a campaign, No More Trayvon Martins campaign. And it, and it, uh, and it did a whole lot of compiling statistics and found that um, actually on the average, every, every 28 hours, a black person in this country is killed by a vigilante, a police officer, or a security guard every 28 hours. So every time that we are seeing uh, the 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 populace, um, whether domestically or internationally, getting enraged about what's happening, we're only seeing a very small microcosm of the people. I um, mean, in fact, people are. Um, and, and when we're seeing it in the news, and the news never really reports that, they don't report the, the frequency of this, and that they will always sensationalize and in, um, make everything about an individual. They'll make it part uh, about an event that's happened. They'll confine it to uh, improper use of force or things like that, never dealing with white supremacy and, and capitalism. In fact, so the, the function, the essential function of the police and what they, the purpose that they serve. And so um, there's a lot there. And then I would also add that they don't make it a global phenomenon. And so that the police and the militarized police in particular, all of them are doing the exact same, serving the exact same purpose as the US military around the world in which they're using uh, you know, the use of force to control and, and expand its hege- hegemony around the world. I mean, it's the same essential purpose um, we in the United States in pocket, we say that we're a domestic colony, that African people are a domestic colony. The issue is not racism, but it's the fact that we are colonized, that we serve uh, the wants and needs of the, the metropole, so to speak, or the p- dominant power, the ruling class. And to the extent that neoliberalism uh, makes those uh, needs sort of outdates those needs, it makes so many of us an expendable population. And so, um, and it's, so, in response to that, we'll see the tightening of, the, or the mass incarceration, the intensification, and, and frustrations of other populations uh, considering uh, African people or even immigrants a problem. Um, then, and their responses are are violent responses. And so, none of these things are put into perspective by the media, even particularly the history and purpose of police. And so, we like, for example, them. Uh, coming out of the slave patrols um, and to catch one or eight slaves and put down insurrections and also the private security agencies in the north maybe almost 100 years later where they protected the property of the owners and the capitalist class um, and put down strikes and those kind of things. Those are important historical contexts that I think that the news media in particular, but in media in general, uh, sh- should be obligated to to fill in the blanks, but they don't do that. And Max, I want to follow up on something that Netfa said. He was saying that uh, black communities are colonized communities. How do we better understand the relationship between black communities and the police? How do we better understand that relationship when we understand black communities as being colonized? 
So if we think about traditional colonies, which is a metropole or a mother country far away from uh, the colony itself, the purpose of the colony is to serve the needs or the wants of the metropole. And it is subjugated in order to do so. And the way that subjugated is ma- subjugation is maintained, you know, of course, no one wants to be colonized. No one signed up for the, uh, to be on the colonized list. Uh, the way it's done is through an occupying army, through a kind of a military force. Well, in the United States, black communities are oppressed. Our cheap labor is used uh, in a number of ways, including undermining uh, labor costs uh, for uh, uh, for unionized or, or, or other white workers. Uh, and of course, that only happens when we don't have full access to, uh, to jobs. Uh, and we're dumping ground for things like rotten meat and used clothes and all kinds of other things like that. So, and as well as toxic waste. So the, how is that maintained? How are, how is it that black people are tolerating those kind of conditions. Well, there's only one way, and that is through an occupying army. This one we call the police. So the way that we understand the relationship is that we have a uh, economic system and a social system, economic system being capitalism and the social system being the combination of white supremacy and patriarchy, uh, that uh, contains and oppresses communities and maintains certain social relations uh, inside of this uh, inside of the society. So the job of the police then is to enforce those things that keep the ruling class as the ruling class. And once we understand that, then that makes it and that's again, again identical, the exact same relationship that exists inside of a traditional colony. Once we understand that, then we can see, okay, this is the function police play. And in that respect, they cannot be reformed. Not they can't be reformed because the, the individual police officers are evil, but they can't be reformed because their job fundamentally is to maintain an inherently exploitative relationship between the uh, colonizers and the colonized. And that process can't be reformed. The only thing that can happen is that we can end the colonial relationship. That's the only good that can happen. And that can only happen when the police are what we now know as police are no longer allowed to patrol the streets of those communities that they're uh, assigned to control. And that is an amazing insight that everybody should be embracing. Uh, The two of you also write that the people have tasted a real sense of their own power. And as a result, some very unexpected developments have emerged. Netfa, yes, these have been unexpected, especially development of defunding the police, which you write about, and we will discuss in a moment, I promise. But let's just focus on something that the media seems to be focusing on. It was on the front page of yesterday's New York Times. It seems like all of the more corporate news media is focusing on it. To what extent are a few of the countless symbols of white supremacy being toppled, a, a few cops being charged without any institutional change. How important are these kinds of symbolic and one-off here and one-off there actions in toppling white supremacy itself, Netva? Well, I mean, I think they're important. And in, in if we were to talk about you know, what happens in, in, in other real revolutions, these kind of things uh, happen in re- revolutions. People uh, address the symbols of their oppression, the symbols of their colonization, and, the, and it's... Um, very important one to, to replace them with other symbols that represent the opposite, that represent our resistance and the liberal liberation. So I think in the sense that they're important for people to to uh, keep up the intensity of the movement um, and to build. They're not enough, um, but there's also a flip side that I think could be um, 
detrimental to the movement in some senses because of, as we see the, the different uh, states uh, complying with these things, um, they can let off steam or make, make people focus on the wrong aspects of what kind of fundamental change needs to take place. Um, because when we talk about systems, and often you're even hearing in the, in the media, uh, systemic change is needed, even people who actually represent the system, but the system is not named. The system, we don't, you know, we're saying uh, capitalism, patriarchy, and white supremacy, but they don't say that. So the system becomes this obscure, elusive thing um, that actually is is to almost be synonymous with reforms. And so these types of things can be can reduce the movement to reforms and have people believe they're winning without us honing in on a more uh, constructive and more formidable transformation and shift in power. So they don't deal with power. They don't deal with the essential conditions of people. You can take a statue down, but that's not going to feed the people who are, are hungry. Um, and so and, and a lot of times these kind of things will intensify not they will, not a lot of times, um, enrage that uh, part of the population that feels that they are being uh, displaced or replaced, um, that their power is, is you know, being challenged um, in a very simplistic way. So we have to have something that's more substantial um, and that it's not about also, it's not about anything that the powers that be do for us, but it's about shifting power to those of us who have been dispossessed and, and um and colonize. And so I think there's a double-edged double -edged kind of thing that we have to, to look at with that. And I, I want to add something to my last thing about the, the, your first question in terms of the media, um, that uh, we often hear the media and they're reporting, they're repeating um, reports from the police uh, and the police stations when something happens as if it's fact. They often take the press releases and they talk about it there. A lot of times they would say allegedly and any other thing. So for example, uh, police officers don't really shoot people. They're merely involved in shootings and they don't, um, they never report that people are victims like George Floyd or Eric Garner or anything. They are suspects, uh, suspects fleeing, those kind of things, um, which you know, I just wanted to, I just thought of that in the tail end of that question and I wanted to get that in there. Yeah, that makes, that's the perfect, that's the way that they uh, always frame these kinds of shootings. And it's really infuriating because they are definitely selling a narrative, even though it's, they're trying to sound like they're being objective when in no way are they being objective. Max, you and Netfa write that among the unexpected developments is the demand to defund the police, which is even being uh, acknowledged by some lawmakers in a few jurisdictions. To be clear, this is a momentous development for the movement. Max, I want to ask you about that aspect of the movement because it's something we've been talking about a lot here on the show, even before uh, this year for the last several years. Momentous, unexpected. Was this a demand by law enforcement act activists, this defunding of police prior to the protests following the murder of George Floyd? Because it makes me consider the idea that many guests have expressed, which is going into a protest, an uprising, a revolution, you really have no idea where it will take you. So you do not need a PowerPoint presentation of your demands and step-by-step -step process to get to liberation and freedom, which is always expected from the media, demanded from the media. And when it is not supplied, every uprising is immediately dismissed as not offering a clear alternative. Is this defunding of the police, this kind of evolution in process of a revolution? Yes, I think it is. I think if this is a, if you think about where we were 
five years ago or so when uh, Mike Brown was murdered uh, by the police in Ferguson, Missouri. There was a, it was immediately followed by an uprising there uh, as well. Uh, uh, Mike Brown was murdered. Uh, there was an uprising. Then the social justice movement went en masse to Ferguson and to St. Louis and, and other places. And then that was shortly followed by a, a smaller but uh, significant uprising in Baltimore. Uh, you had these uprisings. And the, what were the demands that came out of those uprisings? Uh, and we really had two major ones. One was that elected officials and the police say the words Black Lives Matter, which was an incredible cultural flashpoint and, um, uh, and, and, and symbol, but it wasn't really a demand, uh, even though people were trying to frame it that way. And the other was that the police wear body cameras. And the effect of that was that the police can now videotape us basically 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, which was it, even then some of us recognized that this was not a good demand. Uh, but that's where it was. It was all around very simple reforms, some of them not even clear how they're reformed. Some of them were, were actual backwards moves. Five years later, there are people who are calling for a defunding of the police to zero. This is a major leap to happen inside of a lifetime, much less inside of five years. And I think it just shows how quickly uh, things are, are going in terms of the way people are thinking about the police, uh, thinking that they can be cured with a body camera. Uh, and with the slogan to go into thinking there's no way to cure them, they should be zeroed out. So this is a significant development. That, now, that doesn't mean that the evolution is over. That doesn't mean that we're done with the evolution. Uh, but it does mean that this was a really, really a significant move. And I think if we're talking about uh, what revolutionary change could potentially look like, I'm really interested in seeing where we are, where we're going to be in the next evolution in four or five more years. <laughs>
Jessica, you want to go grab a bite? I was thinking we could work on my autobiography, Kyle, the War Years, that I've been talking about. I would love to, Kyle, but I'm actually super tapped out. I had to send some money back to my friends in Joliet. <laughs> it's okay, Jess. I'm loaded. I got a ton of cash from the scrapyard. <laughs> How? Ed's always leaving those metal kegs around the place, and this guy on Halstead gives me two bucks apiece. Kyle, A piece? You know what? Never mind. Eat the rich. Where do you want to go? I was thinking the hash over at George's is pretty good. No way, Kyle. Anywhere but there. All right, that's fine. How about the Bridgeport Diner? It's good, but I'm banned, remember? The whole thing with the card tricks and the furs. Ah, yeah. Well, uh, how about that place on 35th that replaced Remova? Uh, what you call it? Uh, Maury's? Maury's? What's the matter, Jess? It's just my mom works there. Hold on a sec. You're mine, Bridgeport. How come you ain't not said nothing about her yet? She and I don't really get along super well. Ah, jeez. A mother's supposed to be her daughter's best friend. That cannot be true. Or, eh, at least it's not true for me. <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, God, Kyle. Where to begin? Oh, how about one of them audio flashbacks you like? Oh, my God, wow. It's like some of what I say gets into your head. They grow up so fast. It all began when I was a child. People were always saying that my mother and I looked alike, but whereas I have perfect, impeccable diction, my mom, well... Are you going to take all day in there? And as I grew older, it grew worse. I excelled in debate, choir, even ventriloquism. My mom couldn't handle it. Every time I opened my mouth in public, there she was. You know, I was considered for a part with the Supremes, but I was just too real for that scene. No, you weren't. Stop hogging my flashback. You don't know anything. You're just a kid. And it's true. I was just a kid. Until my mother stole my uh, boyfriend. Then apparently I was an accessory. An accessory? Like a purse or something? Sure. The point is, I don't want to see Diane. She stays on her side of Bridgeport. I stay on my side and a little bit of West Undertown because there's some really nice views there. Hold on a second. What did you say her name was? Diane. My, my mom's name is Diane. I used to know a Diane. Real well, in fact. Oh, yeah? You better cue up the flashback noise. So it was 1986. Gung Ho took its place in cinematic legend alongside Police Academy Tree. Everybody was Wang Chunging. I wore more complicated jeans. I was working as a wall washer at the erotic warehouse. I was young, dumb, and full of... Come on, Kyle. What? I was full of ambition. I was looking to work my way up from wall washer to videotape rewinder. Anywho, before I was so rudely interrupted... <clears throat> I was in Grant Park surveying the lunchtime garbage as I want to do when along walked the most beautiful creature that I have ever laid eyes on. And walking that Airedale was a set of legs topped with curly black hair and a catchy grin. You looking for a meal, sailor? Yeah, you knows it, honey. You want half this pizza crust? I was thinking maybe something a little classier. And that's how we ended up at Bennigan's. Kyle, can we skip the romantic montage and get to the point? Nah, it wasn't that romantic. But it was really dirty. Ugh, gross. 
That summer was the most magical I can recall. I ate people food almost every night. The boss gave me a bigger squeegee, and Diane and I would sit out late and just watch the stars. Oh, what happened? I don't know, Jess. One day, Diane left me a note saying that she had to go take care of something and wouldn't be back for several months, and that was the last I ever seen of her. Well, that's pretty depressing for a variety of reasons. Listen, if you want to go to Maury's, we can go. I guess it's okay. Thanks. Yeah, being sad makes me hungry. Couple stacks, Adam Eve on a raft, Wreckham, Mood Juice in 51, and sweep the floor. Hi, Mom. Jessica, what? You living around here? <sighs> Mom, you know I do. You were screaming bloody murder at my apartment last night for 45 minutes. I was. Does that idiot Terry live with you? No, Mom. Anyways, this is Kyle. This is the guy that I've been working with for the radio. Well, you know, I always said you had a face for radio. Diane? Wait, Kyle? Wait, you know this Diane? Oh, yeah. Real well. Just please, no. Kyle and I used to hang right around when you were born, actually. Come to think of it, you two do look an awful lot alike. We We do do not. not. I'm much prettier. Wait, 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 wait. Mom, you knew Kyle in 1986. Listen, babe, I gotta go to the crapper. I think Lenny's passed out in there again. We'll catch up later. This week on the Trump Diaries, Trump holds a rally and no one comes. Trump fires another prosecutor digging into his associates. The Supreme Court deals Trump two more losses. Trump runs ads with Nazi symbols. John Bolton calls Trump unfit for office as virus cases surge, and Biden now leads Trump across all categories by 14 points. These are the Trump Diaries. Day 1247, June 19th. The Supreme Court dealt Trump another major loss with a 5-4 ruling that Trump violated federal law when he ended DACA in 2017. The court narrowly ruled that the executive branch does have the legal authority to end a program. Trump failed to provide an adequate justification for ending it. Trump responded by tweeting that the Supreme Court's DACA decision was, quote, horrible and politically charged. These decisions are shotgun blasts into the face of people proud to call themselves Republicans. Trump then claimed the Supreme Court doesn't like me and called for new justices to be appointed. Trump has appointed two judges for the Supreme Court. Trump's former advisor, John Bolton, said Trump was unfit for office and doesn't have the competence to carry out the job. Following on his forthcoming book, Bolton said Trump was stunningly uninformed, ignorant of base of facts, and easily manipulated by foreign adversaries. The claim that Trump is not fit is among the most stunning indictments of a sitting president by one of their own top advisors in American history. Meanwhile, Trump claimed he had popularized Juneteenth. That, of course, is the commemoration of the end of slavery in the U.S. Quote, I did something good. I made Juneteenth very famous. Nobody had ever heard of the June 19th celebration before I planned a rally in Tulsa. In reality, Trump was reportedly confused by the criticisms he faced for his June 19th rally. Trump later said a black Secret Service agent told him the meaning of the holiday. Facebook removed dozens of ads placed by Trump's re-election campaign that included Nazi imagery. The ads used a red triangle, which was a symbol used by the Nazis, that designates communists and other political prisoners in concentration camps claiming, quote, dangerous mobs of far-left groups are running through our streets and causing absolute mayhem. The ads also made absurd and false claims about Antifa, which Trump is attempting to make a political target. 
All in all, 88 ads ran for Trump, Pence, and the official Team Trump page on Facebook. Before Facebook pulled the ads under pressure from the Anti-Defamation League, those ads had received more than a million views. Trump threatened, quote, protesters, anarchists, agitators, looters, or lowlifes who might attend his Saturday rally in Tulsa that, quote, they will not be treated like you have been in New York, Seattle, or Minneapolis. It will be a much different scene. Twitter then blocked a Trump tweet of a manipulated video complaining about fake news. They labeled it fake news. The video fakes a CNN segment that depicts a white toddler running after a black child. Trump's manipulated video includes ominous background music and a fake CNN chyron that reads, quote, terrified toddler runs from racist baby. Racist baby, probably a Trump voter. The actual video displayed two children running towards each other and hugging. Later, Twitter permanently banned the user that had created that, Carpe Doncum, for repeatedly violating copyright. And Trump said, quote, I personally think coronavirus testing is overrated, even though I created the greatest testing machine in history because testing makes us look bad. Trump went on to question the use of masks as a means of slowing the spread of the virus and claimed that some people were wearing masks, quote, just to make me look bad. Day 1248, June 20th. A federal judge denied Trump's attempt to halt the publication of a book written by John Bolton. However, the judge did suggest Bolton may be in jeopardy of forfeiting his $2 million advance for the book and that he could be prosecuted. The judge concluded that Bolton likely disclosed classified information in violation of an NDA agreement. The mayor of Tulsa declared a civil emergency, imposing but later rescinding under pressure from Trump a curfew surrounding the arena where Trump is to hold a campaign rally. Major G.T. Bynum cited the unrest that followed the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Oklahoma's Supreme Court also rejected a legal effort to stop that rally over health concerns. Residents and businesses filed a lawsuit over concerns that Trump's campaign rally could worsen the coronavirus outbreak in that city. Also, in the court filing, it was revealed Trump's campaign didn't provide a health and safety plan to the arena or to the organizers. Attorney General William Barr said Trump fired the top federal prosecutor in Manhattan. That prosecutor, Jeffrey Berman, has been pursuing cases against Trump's inner circle. He won the conviction of Michael Cohen, and he has a case open against Rudy Giuliani. Barr had initially announced that Berman had resigned, that Trump planned to nominate the current chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission, Jay Clayton. Clayton is a golfing buddy of Trump with no prosecutorial experience. Berman immediately released a statement saying he had not resigned and pointedly showed up for work on Saturday. It transpired that Berman had been asked and refused to sign a letter that criticized New York Mayor Bill de Blasio for the city's enforcement of social distancing rules to block religious gatherings, but not protests. Then Barr told Berman that Trump had fired him and he would be replaced temporarily with his chief deputy, Audrey Strauss. Trump then told reporters that Berman's ouster was, quote, all up to the attorney general and that he wasn't involved in the matter because, quote, that's his department, not my department. Day 1249, June 21st. The World Health Organization said the world has entered a new and dangerous phase of the coronavirus pandemic. Infections in Brazil surged to 1 million and the United States is now struggling to control spiraling outbreaks across the South and the West. 12 states that loosened restrictions on businesses several weeks ago are now seeing record case numbers. Many businesses are now moving to slow down the reopening as a result. White House advisor Peter Navarro said the U.S. was working to prepare for the possibility of a second wave in the fall. But the director for the Center of Infectious Disease Research said he no longer thinks COVID will slow down, calling it a forest fire. Trump called mail-in voting the biggest risk to his re-election. 
claiming falsely that foreign powers could mail in millions of ballots. Trump claimed if we don't win those lawsuits, I think it puts the election at risk. He later tweeted that mail will be rigged by foreign countries and others, who he says will print millions of mail-in ballots. It will be the scandal of our times. Trump also said we shouldn't vote by mail because, quote, we voted during World War I and World War II with no problem. It is worth noting that Trump repeatedly votes by mail, as well as 16 of his cabinet members. The Trump administration apparently paid $7.3 million for 3 million test tubes, but received plastic tubes made for bottling soda. Health officials say the tubes ordered don't fit racks used in labs and were likely contaminated. FEMA signed a deal with a company called Filikit to provide the tubes. The company was formed by a former telemarketer repeatedly accused of fraudulent practices over two decades. The Justice Department formally asked Congress to take up legislation that would remove protections for large tech companies like Google, Facebook, Twitter, and others. The move by Attorney General William Barr is an attempt to satisfy Trump, who believes conservative voices are being censored on social media. Ironically, the removal of the protections the services now have will make it more likely social media will remove inflammatory posts. A senior State Department official resigned due to Trump's handling of racial tensions, saying Trump's actions, quote, cut sharply against my core values and convictions. Mary Elizabeth Taylor resigned. She was the first black woman to serve as the Assistant Secretary of State for Legislative Affairs in history. Day 1250, June 22nd. Trump's attempt to revive his re-election campaign fizzled as crowds failed to turn out in Tulsa. The 19,000-seat arena only had 6,200 people show up, and large sections of empty seats were visible. Trump was said to be stunned by the turnout. An outdoor stage portion was also canceled due to lack of attendance. Organizers destroyed that stage in full view of television cameras in daylight as well. Trump subsequently delivered a rambling and disjointed address to a half-empty hall. Trump falsely claimed rioters were looting American cities and delivered a strange 10-minute monologue in his walk down a West Point ramp. He finished by drinking a glass of water and then throwing the glass to the stage. Trump was then pictured dejectedly walking back to the White House from Marine One after the rally. Trump looked weak and deflated after the failed rally. During the speech, Trump said he had told his cabinet to, quote, slow down testing of coronavirus. Trump called the virus the, quote, Chinese virus and the Kung flu, said, quote, when you do testing to that extent, you're going to find more people, you're going to find more cases. So I said to my people, slow the testing down, please. Eight Trump campaign members and two Secret Service members tested positive for that virus ahead of his rally. Trump was reportedly enraged this news was leaked to the media. White House officials then tried to walk back Trump's testing claim, with Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany claiming the comments had been made in jest. Vice President Mike Pence, however, told governors on a call that Trump's testing comments at the rally were a passing observation. TikTok and K-pop fan accounts claim to have registered potentially hundreds of thousands of tickets for Trump's campaign rally as a prank. It is unclear if those accounts skewed expectations. Trump campaign manager Brad Parscale blamed the low attendance, quote, on a week's worth of the fake news media warning people away from the rally because of COVID and protesters. He did not explain how this jived with his earlier claims that nearly one million people had registered for tickets to attend the event. Trump accused President Barack Obama of treason without offering any evidence or details. Claiming falsely that Obama was spying on the Trump campaign, Trump said, the charge is treason, it's treason. Look, when I came out a long time ago, I said they've been spying on our campaign. It turns out I was right. Let's see what happens to them now. Trump made the comments to the Christian Broadcasting Network. And Trump claimed his niece had signed a non-disclosure agreement and is, quote, not allowed 
to write her tell-all book about Trump and his family. Mary Trump is said to be writing a tell-all about Trump's taxes and finances. Day 1251, June 23rd. There are grave fears that the coronavirus pandemic is now snowballing as cases in Florida surpassed 100,000 as part of a major surge across the South and West as states reopen for business. In addition, some Americans are resisting wearing masks for political reasons. Over 120,000 deaths in the U.S. have now been blamed on the virus. The CDC suggests we are approaching a new peak. New cases in the U.S. now account for one in five of all cases worldwide. Trump told a reporter he was not kidding when he said he told his people to slow down testing. I don't kid. Trump then claimed testing is a double-edged sword. Trump has continued to complain about how increased testing reveals more cases of coronavirus, claiming, quote, we've done too good a job. In a speech in Arizona, Trump called Democrats intolerant and totalitarian, accusing vicious Democrats of stifling dissent and letting anyone vote, even if they're not citizens. Trump claimed that Democrats hate our history, they hate our values, and they hate everything we prize as Americans. The left-wing mob is trying to demolish our heritage so they can replace it with a new oppressive regime that they alone control. The rally was attended by many not wearing masks on another record day for new COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations in the state of Arizona. Trump has suspended work visas and barred more than a half million foreigners from coming to work in the U.S. The move, which blocks the H-1B visa program for high-skilled workers, is adamantly opposed by businesses across the spectrum. That move has long been pushed for by Stephen Miller, who dubiously claims it hurts American employment. Trump has reportedly become fixated on Joe Biden's physical and mental acuity and stewing over media coverage that he believes make him look weak or feeble. Trump has repeatedly brought up the cognitive screening test he took as part of his 2018 physical, claiming he aced the simple test, which includes animal pictures and simple queries. The test is actually aimed at detecting simple dementia. Trump signed an essentially meaningless executive order punishing those who attempt to deface or destroy monuments. Trump claimed he's seeking long-term jail sentences for anarchists and called protesters who attempted to take down a statue of Andrew Jackson in Washington, vandals and hoodlums who don't love America. They're bad people. They don't love our country and they're not taking down our monuments. I just want to make that clear. As it is already a federal crime to deface federal property, Trump's order is meaningless. Day 1252, June 24th. The European Union will block Americans from entering because the U.S. has failed to control the coronavirus pandemic. The move, which is to lump American citizens in with Brazilians and Russia, is a massive repudiation of Trump's handling of the virus and a blow to what remains of American prestige. The move will have significant economic and geopolitical ramifications, as there are huge economic ties between the U.S. and the European Union. More than 120,000 Americans have already died as a result of COVID-19. The total number of confirmed infections is beyond 2.3 million. In congressional testimony, Dr. Anthony Fauci said the U.S. is experiencing a disturbing surge of infections as states reopen too quickly and that the country lacks adequate plans for testing and tracing the contacts of those infected. Following the next two weeks critical in containing the outbreak, Fauci said some states should halt the reopening plans. Fauci then contradicted Trump saying, quote, none of us have ever been told to slow down on testing. That is a fact. A former prosecutor told Congress that senior law enforcement officials intervened to seek a more lenient prison sentence for Trump's friend, Roger Stone. In pre-prepared testimony, Congress also heard that the division was forced to pursue unjustified investigations of the newly legal marijuana industry 
and an anti-pollution pact between California and several automakers, ostensibly for political reasons. Aaron Zelensky, who withdrew from the Stone case after the Department of Justice intervened, said, quote, what I heard repeatedly was that Roger Stone was being treated differently from any other defendant because of his relationship to the president. I was also told the acting U.S. attorney was giving Stone such unprecedentedly favorable treatment because, quote, he was afraid of the president. And a divided federal appeals court panel ordered an immediate end to the case against Trump's former national security advisor, Michael Flynn. The verdict was a victory for Flynn and Trump and came as a major surprise. Flynn twice pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI. However, Flynn's jeopardy is not over. The original judge, Emmett Sullivan, in that case, is said to appeal today's decision to the full court. The decision may not come until the end of the year. A Senate procedural vote on Republican police reform bill failed. Senate Democrats filibustered the bill after saying the legislation did not go far enough to address police brutality. Senate Leader Mitch McConnell has already said a competing Democratic bill is a partisan non-starter. Democrats want the bill to include bans on chokeholds and no-knock search warrants and to address qualified immunity, which shields police officers from lawsuits. Also, the House Judiciary Committee subpoenaed Attorney General William Barr to testify about the firing of U.S. Attorney Jeffrey Berman in New York. Chairman Jerry Nadler also asked Berman to testify. In a related story, the White House admitted that Trump was involved in Berman's firing. White House Press Secretary Kayla McGaggy said Trump was, quote, involved in the sign-off capacity. Day 1,253, June 25th. More than 35,000 new coronavirus cases have now been detected in the United States, the single highest day total since late April and the third highest total of the pandemic to date in America. The elevated numbers are the result of worsening conditions across much of the South and West, detected by increased testing. The numbers now being driven are being hit by states that reopened too soon and by citizens who did not follow proper safety protocols. The head of the CDC said the nation was, quote, being driven to its knees by one little virus and would likely have to spend $7 trillion to confront it. As a result, the tri-state area imposed a 14-day quarantine on anyone traveling into New England from nine states that includes Florida, Arizona, and Texas. It is unclear how that quarantine will be enforced. However, Trump is to ignore the new order requiring all visitors from states with high numbers of coronavirus cases to quarantine. Trump, of course, traveled to Arizona on Tuesday. He is to visit his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey on Friday. Trump is scaling back the national emergency declared earlier this year to control the pandemic. He has also moved to end funding for testing sites in 13 states. Trump's moves have drawn confusion, which was compounded when White House Press Secretary Kayla McEnany said that Trump is not looking at lifting the national emergency declarations. A study shows that the protests that roiled the country have not led to an increase in coronavirus outbreaks. Researchers found that social distancing measures actually went up in wake of the protests. Trump's 200th lifetime federal judge was confirmed by the Republican-controlled Senate. There are no more federal vacancies open. In comparison, Obama appointed 334 federal judges during his tenure. A new poll found that 80% of voters have a favorable view of mask wearing. 59% said presidential candidates holding large political events and rallies is a bad idea. The poll also found Joe Biden has a 14-point lead over Trump among likely voters across all categories. The poll was conducted by Fox News. These are the Trump Diaries.
Studio A has been closed due to the pandemic. Please enjoy this brand new song from Harry Brenner. It was written for Dan Jugal and is called Kid Icarus. Music from Brenner appears throughout this special edition of the Week in Review in memory of Jugal. update is live yes they finally rolled it out they've finally, been the website the, i mean the website's been up for construction for a while it's and it's finally out it's the first major update to reality since the divisive climate update of 2003 Oof. uh which i ultimately think personally was had ended up being much better than it was but at the time sure the the internet was a, a, an outrage yeah i mean the people that i mean it was really split because the, you know the first when when dream update when the dreams first came out, people loved them. And then when the update took place, mm-hmm. it was really divisive because, you know, half the people that made the first one left. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's mainly a mixture of buffs and nerfs yeah. to the physical act of dreaming. Uh, it's, it's basically being described as a major quality of life improvement yeah. for what was previously described as essentially an unfinished feature. Yeah. In the wider scale of it's like you're buffering. Uh, it's I mean you're buffering for you know six to twelve hours, right? And and people 
you know, dreaming was like it's like it was a nice little mini game, essentially, yeah. a nice little distraction. It's like when, yeah, when a Google homepage doesn't pop up, you get that nice mini game. It's the same thing as dr- it's what dreams are, basically. Yeah, yeah, but this but now, time, yeah, but now it's being apparently been. I haven't slept since it went live. Sure, um, but tonight I'll be able to figure it out. But essentially, it's being described now as just like a full-fledged, yeah, entirely virtual um, reality experience. It's a, it's uh, so. Should we just go through the patch notes? Yeah, please. All right. Uh, these are I, the... I mean, honestly, who's reading the fine details? They just see these amazing pictures, but it's nice to get some real information. Right, and there's a number of other uh, sort of minor bug fixes and other just yeah, sort of privacy tweaks. things. Yeah, but uh, these are the main ones, uh, the first of which is that REM st- – the REM state uh, will load about 35% faster. <laughs> so uh, – your dream onset will be much quicker, which is, I think, a, a great segue in the sense that, like, they're essentially saying, "Hey, we listened to your concerns. Sure. We beefed up this feature. Yeah. Your dreams will there'll be the dreams have been tuned. Sure. So now you can get to them quicker and yeah. you can experience them." Yeah, I don't know what they were doing before, but I mean, now it's going to be faster. They've really gotten rid of some of the some of the fat off that whatever code yeah. they were using. Uh, it's, it's hard to gauge what, what actual the, the language they were using yeah. is. Um, c- celestial, maybe. <laughs> uh, another one, uh, and this, this is, this is kind of baffling, honestly, but I think it'll overall work out for the better for most people, which is um, nightmare likelihood was lowered by 20%. Amazing. Yeah. But, I mean, oh, but. But, but. now it scales. The chance goes up. It scales with cholesterol. Broadcast every Saturday, 8 to 9 p.m. The Lumpen Week in Review is produced by the staff and volunteers of WLPN LP Chicago, the community radio of the future. The Week in Review is overseen by Jamie Trecker, voiceovers by Shanna Van Volt, additional production by Cole Eisenberg, Julie Wu, Sergio Rodriguez, Neil Gaynor, Lane Gerbig, Alexander Jerry, John Piotrowski, Ari Shellist, and Annie Klein. Live music production by Ari Shellist. The Lumpen theme, background, and interstitial music is by Mike Perkins. The Lumpen Radio Sting is by Dan Jugal. For more information on Lumpen Radio, visit lumpenradio.com. Yeah.